0: Hey, I'm Brian Hyatt, and this is Rolling Stone Music Now. I have with me Britney Spanos and Rob Sheffield. And today's topic is the 10th anniversary of an absolutely spectacular album that's near and dear to all of our hearts. It's Born This Way by Lady Gaga. And I gotta tell you, I'm always a little bit biased in the weird cases when the first time where I heard a lot of an album's songs was like in the back of a Jeep with Gaga or in her dressing room, et cetera, et cetera, that is very biasing to one's opinion of an album. But I re-listened to it fresh over the past couple days. And I got to tell you, that is one spectacular album. It's one of those albums, listening to it, you're like, is this the greatest album I've ever made? It's so good. And so quirky and bizarre and auteur-driven while being super poppy. Maybe we'll start out by Robin and Brittany, can you... Let's put it in some historical context, both for Gaga and for the state of pop at that moment of release. What was going on? And maybe we'll start with Gaga, Brittany. What was going on with Gaga at that point?
1: Yeah, I mean... She was just huge at that point. I mean, this is her sophomore album, technically. The Fame had been out for a few years, and then she had The Fame Monster, and that was sort of just the an EP that expanded on The Fame, and The Fame Monster was massive, that had Bad Romance, which was her biggest single yet. I think still, technically, maybe her biggest single. You know, Shallow probably comes close now, things like that, but Bad Romance, is that's in the, the stratosphere of pop. And then Telephone with Beyoncé, like, She was just getting bigger and bigger. There's a lot riding on board in this way. There is a lot, a lot of expectations, really high expectations. She's someone who was reinventing herself with every video, with every song, with every award show appearance. It wasn't an era where she was just presenting one look, like every single thing was something different. And so there was a lot of expectations, both visually and sonically, with what she would do next for this album. So people were kind of waiting to see how she would outdo herself.
0: And let's not forget that she hatched from an egg (laughs) at the Grammys, and I believe the egg was carried on the red carpet uh, with her in it. Sure was. Which is one of the most spectacular (laughs) things that has ever happened, possibly in the history of humanity. And uh, just
1: well, it's before we got to Joe Calderon, same era, but (laughs) it would be another year before that. Or maybe it was the same year for that.
0: And... The egg, by the way, she explained to me was because she was reborn as Mother Monster. So that was the birthing process. And I also (laughs) asked her, I saw, what happened if you had to pee while you were in the egg? And her answer was, she didn't do that. That was not, uh, she was born without those functions. So (laughs) fair enough. Good answer. Um, Rob, maybe you can talk about the larger state of pop at that moment, 10 years ago, and where Gaga fit in just before Born This Way and where she fit in and what her influence was afterwards. Her, her influence was significant in shifting a lot of what was going on in pop in a lot of ways.
2: When Gaga blew up in 2009, you know, her huge string of hits, it was a really formulaic moment for pop music. Pop music was kind of stuck in the late 2000s doldrums. And uh, without mentioning any names that aren't the Black Eyed Peas, there was a lot of really kind of formulaic stuff that she really injected a lot of personality, a lot of humor, a lot of wildness, a lot of ferocity, a lot of imagination. And she really completely raised the stakes for what artists were doing in pop music and what artists were trying in pop music and also what listeners were expecting from pop music. So she just had really elevated the game. And Born This Way was really kind of a victory lap for her. This was the record she made when she knew that She had transformed pop globally, and this was really her celebration.
0: The only word missing from your descriptors, I think, was weird, and I think in the best way. (laughs) But in in the best way, she, she reminded people that pop, at its best, could and should be weird, and that pop stars could and should be weird. And I think a lot of pop stars in her wake, who were already around, definitely got permission to be weirder as she kind of stepped up. Would you agree with that, Rob?
2: Absolutely. She completely opened the door to weirdness in in a way that people were really, really shameless about. She really kind of liberated other artists in a way that lots of people who, you know, survived the transition from the pre-Gaga era to the post-Gaga era, they did it by emulating her weirdness in a way. And that was just part of the boldness. But also, you know, the humor she brought to the weirdness the, The imagination, the political aspect, the way that she was really the whole package of the total rock and roll rebel pop star.
1: Yeah, I think also to build off that, if you look at the 2000s, or I mean, the late 90s, really, until the point when we meet Gaga, the full decade before she arrived, so much of pop and so much of being a pop star was about assimilation. It was about sort of emulating desirable kind of peak especially for women, a peak sort of femininity, a very kind of popular girl aesthetic. And a lot of pop stars were built to emulate, you know, when it was Britney Spears, it was, you know, everyone, like Jessica Simpson talked about this a lot. Um, Pink even says it in a song, everyone wanted everyone to be Britney Spears. Everyone wanted to be like certain pop stars who were capable of getting to number one and being just like them. And so I think for Gaga to step out of that and to be political, to be unabashedly strange, not afraid to be ugly. Like, I think there's so much lacking in that with pop, where it was like, you had to be constantly beautiful. And Gaga was like, let me walk out in a meat dress. Let me like do all this weird stuff. To her, fashion was not about being necessarily just pretty beautiful, glamorous. She brought it back to like, she was just going to be weird. She was going to let herself transform into the cover with the weird sort of facial stuff that's happening in the video of Born This Way where she has all these kind of things on her face that make her look like an alien. She wasn't afraid to ugly herself up.
0: Yeah, I mean, not to get overly academic, but it it was pulling away from the idea of pop stars being constructed for the male gaze. Mm -hmm. The only gaze she really only cared about was her own and of her fans And there also was this unabashed sort of queerness about Mm -hmm. the whole thing and embracing, more than embracing, just delighting in her fans who were gay or who were different in any way. And that was a big part of this whole sort of mother monster thing. The little monsters were meant to be this sort of army, to borrow a a phrase from a later group, of sort of misfits rather than the sort of, right, just the popular kids. Yeah, and Um, she's so
1: integral to that. I mean, the, the monsters were one of the first big internet fandoms and sort of showed people what it could look like for fandoms to mobilize online, to exist largely in online spaces. The monsters were kind of the beginning of this whole era of pop fandom.
0: It's a great point, and her bond with them was so intense and real. Just, you know, again, I spent time talking with BTS and people might scoff at this whole idea of ARMY and, and that fans are more than just fans, but they really feel connected to their fans. And Gaga's connection with her, with her fans was beyond real. I mean, she was just, I saw that so much. I mean, I, I'll talk a little bit more about the time I spent with her, I'd also been lucky enough to do the cover story for her first album, and then I saw how much things had evolved a couple years later, and one of the first things I noticed was this almost messianic kind of connection she had Mm -hmm. with her fans, and it was all around her, she was wearing clothes that were given to her by fans. She had fan art up everywhere in the studio, there were letters from fans, I'd pick them up and read them, and they were so intense and sometimes heartbreaking. It was just so beyond kind of the TRL era of glossy pop, which we all love. We all love that stuff for different reasons, but this was so... It took some of the sonics of it and grafted this far more arty and interesting thing to it and then also went to wild places musically. and Maybe that's what we should talk about. I mean, musically, she had pulled in all these kind of Euro dance beats on her first stuff and then got much weirder with it on Born This Way. There's there's parts that sort of sound industrial, like Nine Inch Nails, or maybe more specifically like Blood on the Dance Floor era, Michael Jackson, which was in turn influenced by Nine Inch Nails. And she talked about that. She was bringing back industrial pop, mm-hmm. you know, or the industrial influence on pop. And the other thing was the rock influence, which was a big part of Gaga. I mean, I think this album is, is like an arena pop album. And again, that sort of reminds me a lot of, I obviously have BTS in the mind, but this idea of, like, pop with this sort of dynamics and <laughs> bigitude, that would be the word, I would say, the, the largeness of arena rock. And there's so much to that, and that's why the tour was so sick. I saw a bunch of dates for, that was, it was one of the, the great pop tours of all time. But the rock influence, Britney, what strikes you about that? Because, she, you know, she was drawing on David Bowie and Kiss and we'll get to it, but Springsteen, and that's why we were talking about Jim Stein. Mm. And, you know, at the beginning of the album, we were talking about Jim Steinman the other week. It's like Marry the Night. The intro sounds beyond exactly like a Jim Steinman song. Insanely like a Jim
3: Steinman <laughs> song. I'm gonna marry the night.
1: I won't give up on my life. I'm a- yeah, I mean that's been such a big part of the culture that she came up in. She lived on the Lower East Side, she was part of this very grungy rock crew that built a big part of her aesthetic at the time. Um, I remember seeing her at Lollapalooza during the Fame Monster era and she brought out Lady Starlight, who was one of her close friends from that era and they did a lot of performance art shows back when Gaga was still kind of like a, a blip in Gaga's own radar, but they used to do this thing where they would like light stuff on fire while Iron Maiden played in the background, um, and so they did it on stage, and it's such a big part of who she is. So I think for a lot of huge fans of Gaga, as I am and was especially at the time, it was very exciting to see her embrace that on this album, where it wasn't so much a part of the fame and the fame monster and her early music but to see her kind of go all in and go for these very like kind of metally influences and some like 80s rock influences like that's such a big part of what inspired her to do music and why she is who she is that inspired her songwriting and for her to embrace that wholeheartedly on this album i think that passion kind of comes through because it's just so fun
2: i remember so much hearing you and i for the first time it's and- just laughing. I thought, like, oh my God, this is such a Queen song. I can't get over that you wrote a full-out Queen song. And then suddenly, Brian May on lead guitar. <laughs> she really went there, rock-wise.
0: Yeah. It's been a long time since I came around. Been a long time, but I'm back in town. Well, I was going to say, her boyfriend at the time, who I spent a bizarre amount of time around, was this guy, Luke, who was a total metalhead. And, um won't say anything mean about poor Luke who's doing Lord knows what right now, but just this, like, he was a guy uh, and she was touchingly at the time, uh, probably it's a little embarrassing for her now, but I mean, she was was touchingly uh, in love with this guy and that's what you and I is about him and part of the glorious over-the-top nature of Born This Way is so much of it is an ode to this like basically random dude who she was, you know, really into at the time and she wrote like classic songs about this basically random guy, which is some you know,
1: yeah. He the, was her music. Best that, pop albums yeah, of all time exactly. are about just some random dude. Excellent. Or <laughs> or, or well no greater norms. muse it's, than the random dudes in every pop star's life. It's very
0: it's very true. <laughs> it's very true. I bet that Luke can uh, sympathize with the woman who was Van Morrison's muse for Astral Weeks who says being a muse is the worst job. It pays very poorly. Uh, <laughs> but um, Yeah,
2: Nebraska was her Janet Planet.
0: <laughs> exactly, exactly. But the Springsteen influence is, is really wild. And it is interesting. We love connecting Bruce to our pop stars, but it is interesting how uh, the Gaga era had – this connection and now, and it was a a pre-Jack Antonoff era of Bruce being connected to every pop star. But with her specifically, I mean, what she did incredibly is she sort of manifested Clarence Clemens into the studio. And there he was, in fact, doing what turned out to be his final studio sessions on Edge of Glory. And I believe he, he plays on Hair and she actually tried to get him to play on the title track, I'm Born This Way, she told me. And Clarence was like, uh, I, don't think, I don't think I fit on that one. <laughs> so, so that didn't happen. But there's so much going on in the album that you can forget. I actually really do remember we were in like a parking garage and she was very excited to play me Edge of Glory with Clarence. And I remember when his, first of all, Edge of Glory is such an unbelievable mm-hmm. song. But when Clarence's sax comes in, it's just a peak. It's an emotional moment. It's so spectacular. And basically what she did is she was, she was like, I think this song would be good with Clarence Clemens on it. And he, yeah, he just showed up from Miami within about 26 hours, is my understanding, and was there <laughs> playing on it. And her dad, who's a big Springsteen fan, it was like the best moment of his entire life, I think. <laughs> Seasons change. Why not your gaming tech? Upgrade now during Alienware's summer sale event and save on select next-gen Alienware gaming PCs and more. Pair your impressive skills with our advanced gaming systems, like the Alienware M18 laptop powered by an Intel Core i9 processor, featuring awe-inspiring visuals, liquid cooling, three-dimensional audio with Dolby Atmos, and impressive overclocking potential. Your dream setup, exceptional prices and free shipping await you for a limited time only at alienware.com deals. That's alienware.com deals.
2: Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd
0: bring our prices up down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
3: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
0: In the 1980s, Frank Farian was riding high as a successful German music producer. Just how to fix that. Wondery's new podcast, Blame It On The Fame, dives into one of pop music's greatest controversies. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when their adoring fans learned about the infamous lip syncing, the downfall was swift and brutal. With exclusive interviews from frontman Fab Morvan and his producers, Frank Farian and Ingrid Segge, this podcast takes a fresh look at the exploitation of two young black artists. Follow Blame It On The Fame.
1: Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC.
0: Rob, maybe you could talk a little bit more about, it just seems like a very fruitful topic, of Gaga's connection to rock. Here are some selections from her traveling vinyl collection on the Born This Way tour. Ziggy Stardust, Born USA, Glass Houses by Billy Joel, (laughs) Goodbye Yellow Brick Road, appetite for destruction i wonder why gaga and i got along and then in this sort of i'm not sure it was exactly her dressing room but the, oh, the, yeah right that was her dressing room that was her vinyl collection her dressing room then she had this other sort of backstage sanctuary with all these candles if you've ever seen the movie music and lyrics and where the pop star has that little room where she meets the songwriters it was exactly that room but she had pictures that she had them put up in every city in this room and the pictures were of Jimmy Page, Debbie Harry, the Sex Pistols, John Lennon, the Ramones and Elvis Presley and a picture of herself with Elton John, who she had become tight with. So yeah, Rob, maybe you could just talk more about this way that she plugged herself into that tradition while making the music she did.
2: Something that was really brilliant about what she did was she approached these rock and roll signifiers in a very pop way. She was mixing and matching constantly. She was somebody like, you know, treated classic rock radio not like a, you know, a sacred institution, but like a thrift store. You would find stuff and say, "Hey, we could put this Clarence Clemens solo in what is basically an Eddie Money song. We could, you know, put a, a Queen song and a Shania Twain song and a Bowie song all together." She really had a very irreverent approach. You know, the pure Motorhead awesomeness of her album cover there was just something about the way she would take punk rock and arena rock and glam rock and mixing up with 70s disco, 80s disco, house music. It was really just innovative all across the album.
0: Yes, the album cover in which she is a, a basically like a motorcycle unicorn is the wildest. She is the highway unicorn, I guess, on that.
2: Absolutely. And And so much of the the Freddie Mercury influence, which, you know, has really exploded in pop music over the past 10 years, I think a lot of that can be traced very specifically back to Gaga. She really had that Freddie Mercury sort of aesthetic of, we're going to take absolutely anything and rip it off. We'll put out an album called A Night at the Opera that has all this stuff, you know, that really isn't opera. We'll put out an album called Jazz, which, you know, needless to say, has no jazz in it. But... Freddie Mercury was into stealing a little bit here, stealing a little bit there, and throwing it all together in a brilliant new song of his own. And that's very much how Gaga approaches it.
0: It should be noted, of course, that that's where her name comes from. So there's a, there's a deep connection there.
2: Absolutely. And the way that Freddie Mercury has become a hundred times more famous and beloved than he was ten years ago, I think a lot of that is, in many ways, his, uh, his proudest rebel daughter, Lady Gaga.
0: Maybe we should talk a little bit about the title track.
3: My mama told me when I was young We're all superstars
0: I was truly never bugged by its, I guess what what we could acknowledge is its similarity to Express Yourself by Madonna. It always felt to me like its own thing. Uh, Some people really seem to be genuinely irked by the similarity, including at the time, I guess, although she's long since gotten over it, Madonna herself was not thrilled about it. She also, you know, quite frankly, may not have been thrilled by the fact that at that moment, Gaga was being kind of touted as eclipsing Madonna in that moment. But, you know, one can never really one can never really eclipse Madonna, but it just, you know, in, the, in that moment. But you can be honest, uh, both of you. Rob, how do you feel about the title track and the whole Madonna thing?
2: Well, I loved it. It was a brilliant Madonna rip. I mean, Madonna. She was queen of like steal a little bit here, steal a little bit there. I mean, the song that you know Lady Gaga was accused of ripping off from Madonna, "Express Yourself." Madonna got that from the Staple Singers, among other places. It was a you know a, a, a disco song, and that's part of the great disco tradition. Is you know steal it, then someone else steals it, then someone else steals it, and it's just passing it along. So. The idea of treating Madonna as as if she's some kind of you know folk singer on the Delta, you know, like just that's, that's just the completely opposite. I mean, that's maybe the dumbest possible way to listen to Madonna. That Madonna, you know, no matter what she did or didn't say about Gaga in, in public, that's really what she stands for as as an artist. And. That's how she inspires other artists. So, really, stealing from Madonna is the ultimate compliment. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think also that contentious relationship between the mother and daughter relationship in pop music is such a big part of it. You know, I think like there is a lot of. Gaga at that point that was rejecting the Madonna comparisons to the point where she was like, "It's not Madonna at all." Like she would say stuff like that, at, you know, different points in her career where she would like be like, "No, like there's no Madonna in my music. There's nothing." You know, they just had a weirdly contentious relationship. I've never heard of like, her.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah, and I mean, we saw that with um, Mariah Carey and Ariana Grande. Ariana Grande very clearly inspired by Mariah Carey, but because there is so so many continuous comparisons, you want to set yourself apart. So she was like, "No." there's no Mariah Carey in my music. Like, you know, that kind of contentious idea that there's no relationship between these two things. And even with um, people who were inspired by Gaga kind of rejecting that, even though it's very clearly inspired by Gaga. Like, that kind of continues to happen. I love it. I think they are both... Extremely good at playing that game, and also being like a little, little feisty with it. Madonna doing "Born This Way" in concert while she's doing "Express Yourself," and also again Gaga's quotes about Madonna, kind of rejecting the idea that Madonna has any influence. They both have huge fandoms. I mean, Madonna's fandom is, of course, always going to be predates the monsters. They are people who have been with her through many decades of changes. So of course, they are going to also fight on her behalf, but. Yeah, I, I love that, that feud. I love that they seem to finally actually resolve it after Gaga won an Oscar. I mean, stuff like that was just peak pop drama. Born This Way, not my favorite Gaga song. I like what it does. It hasn't aged well, in my opinion. There are some lyrics on there that I think, you know, if she happened to do a new version of it, I would change a lot of the bridge. Um, But I <laughs> that's just one, one woman's opinion. But yeah, I, th- I understand why I think Edge of Glory is a better... It's better at doing what Born This Way is aiming to do without being so hammering your head with like, this is what I'm trying to do. But I appreciate that the song exists because I think for an artist to be that vocal about LGBTQ rights, especially in that era when it was still kind of, I mean, everyone was still fighting for marriage equality. Like, I think that for her to do that was really important and pivotal for her to be as public as she was. But that song, eh, it's not my favorite, especially on this album where I think a lot of other songs on there tend to sound even fresher today than they did when it was released.
0: Yeah, as I said, I, I was really struck by how fresh the whole album sounded. What What are some mm-hmm. of your favorites? Both of you.
1: Ooh. Heavy metal lover is one of my favorites. Government Hooker, Shiza, also the DJ White Shadow remix of Shiza on the album. <laughs> amazing! It's perfect. Perfect remix. Yeah, I mean, it's just a it's a fun album. I I don't think there's a Born This Way is literally the weakest song for me on the entire album. Electric Chapel, maybe I don't return to that much either.
0: Well, you've cued me to tell my Electric Chapel story, which is one of my most beloved <laughs> stories. Um, so it's in the uh, it's in the cover story, but I watched her work. It's always enlightening to see how hard. It's not true for all artists, but an artist like her, to see how hard someone works on this song that was essentially, I think it's actually a bonus track on the album. It's not even officially on the album. But she was just working on every detail of this song, Electric Chapel. She had a notebook of notes, on of EQ. She heard a, the EQ changed on a single line, which she heard without being prompted. Maybe that was a setup to impress me. I don't think so. I think she really heard it. But, you know, she was focused on every detail of the album and at one point she had an idea for a fred schneider like chant that was like oh, electric i still remember it and uh there were a bunch of us in the studio like it was me and her entourage and she had us all kind of gather around and do that gain vocal and it was definitely one of the most fun things i've ever had to do in a story and i was really psyched about it and so as the story says and i was just reliving it by reading the story but she she was like i love it and then like two seconds later she's like get rid of it <laughs>
1: I would like the song more if your gang vocal had made it to the song. Brian. So,
0: so that was uh, that was the uh, two seconds in which I almost got to sing back up. I, I mean, you know, I guess for while that file existed, there was uh, there was a moment of that chant. But I also suggested that she just get Fred Schneider in the way that she got Clarence Clemens, and she did think about it for a second. And I was, and I, I really thought that. The degree of magic around Gaga at that point was such that I believed we were in, I think we were in New York, I truly believed that within two hours she could manifest Fred Schneider into the studio <laughs> and he was going to be there. And she really thought about it for about 30 seconds and she was like, eh, just dropped the whole thing, which is too bad. That's the only song where I have a story like that, but Rob, what are, what are some of your other favorite songs on the album?
2: Man, now I want to hear Electric Chapel, Brian's version. <laughs> <laughs> oh, electric. You know that's somewhere in the vaults, I think <laughs> I think it's, time, it's, time, it's time to bring it back. I got to say, You and I, it was a radio hit. You could tell it was very designed to be a radio hit. It sounds very unlike the rest of the album, so it's anomalous in, in many ways. And it feels a little silly to choose it as a favorite from this album when it's an outlier musically in so many ways. But it sums up so much of the audacity of Gaga and the shameless, unapologetic cheese that she loved. There's a lot of cheese on the record. This is the most mega cheese, you know, (laughs) the the most mega cheese manifesto on the album. And uh, I love how it's, um, I love how gaudy it is, both as as an album cut in the context of the album and hearing it on pop radio. So for me, like that song, an outlier though it may be in some ways, it really sums up a lot of the. The genius of gaga in, in just one place
0: the album also emphasizes that one of the best ways to uh, create an interesting artist is to inflict a lot of religiosity on them mm-hmm. and when they're young and in this case uh, catholic imagery there's so many artists who like take their catholic school stuff and have it come out in the wildest ways actually another thing she has in common with bruce springsteen but the song judas is so great and so nuts and her, yeah. her intended message, which I don't think anyone ever really uh, got, was that even Judas... Was uh, was part of God's plan, you know? That was that was a she had this sort of rad, radical uh, theological message that she was intended to convey. I'm not sure one person on Earth ever took that away from just the song <laughs> or the video. Uh, but she did say it is it is in my story. But there's also the the absolutely wild Judas video, which she was convinced was going to be like the most controversial video ever made when she was edit- I watched her edit it, and then as I said, it wasn't controversial because no one understood what the hell was going on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But am I alone in my love for that song? It's just bonkers. That's a great song.
1: Yeah, and I, I mean, there's just so much religion on this album. I mean, Jesus and God and kind of all of that is intrinsic to a lot. I mean, even like it's mentioned on "You and I." There's a song called "Black Jesus," like "Bloody Mary." You know, it's like all this stuff. This has like a lot of religious undertones to it. Which is just, you know, peak pop, again, melodrama, which Gaga was becoming an expert at at that time. But yeah, Judas is a great, one of my favorite Gaga singles. Looking back, she was also convinced that Black Jesus was going to be this massive controversy. But I think
0: she just overwhelmed everyone with so much Gaga-ness that there was only room for so much for people to even react to.
1: (laughs) But also, like, the title is so, it's Black Jesus plus Amen Fashion, which is just, like... Why is that the full title? (laughs) Which is also what makes, I don't know, what I love about Gaga is sometimes it's just pure nonsense. And that title is one of the most nonsensical titles she's ever given a song. That
2: is true. That is kind of genius. (laughs) Yes. Uh, What can I say? You know, Brian, there's three men she'll serve all her life. That's Nebraska and her daddy and Jesus Christ.
0: There's a part of my story where her parents are hanging out backstage And her father, who, not in this story, but the previous story, poked my chest and said, keep it clean, about the story he had mellowed by this point. But Easter is in two days, and Gaga's parents want to know if she's coming to church with them. Father O'Connor would love to see you, her dad says. I bet, she says. Really? He asks for you all the time. You sure you want to take me to church on Easter? I just put out a single called Judas. Should I wear a dress that says, buy my new single Judas (laughs) on iTunes? It's just... It's just wild. And then the next part of the story, though, is her actually giving this very sincere prayer with her band before the show. So, you know, she contains multitudes. Yeah.
2: Catholic school, it stays with you for life, and especially if you're a songwriter. And that's another Madonna connection, because Madonna really sort of took that out of the subtext and made it very, very much text in ways that were hugely innovative. And and it would have been... I think uh, phony for Gaga not to, not to run with that. You know, Madonna was the first pop star and came right out and said, I like crucifixes. They're hot because they have a naked man on them. That kind of stuff, you know, nobody said before. The whole thing of like wearing rosaries as fashion, Madonna invented all of that. So the idea of Gaga just would have been crazy for her to cover that up.
0: You know, I was looking back for Black Jesus. I was actually in the studio when she added the part that's at the beginning, the, the black, black, Jesus is the new black. She improvised that on the spot. Oh. Black, 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 I wear black, <laughs> Jesus is the new black, Jesus is the new black. Uh, and her response when she first recorded that was, isn't that fresh? That's fresh as fuck. That's fresh like a Subway
1: sandwich. Eat fresh, bitch. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> I should be kept that time- in the song. Honestly, that's how I felt after I heard Born This Way.
0: (laughs) It it took me a long time to embrace the pop fan use of the word iconic for like everything, but that is iconic, let's face it. (laughs) So iconic. Now, Rob, you have a theory, of course you have a theory, that A Star Is Born is in some ways a a sequel (laughs) to Born This Way. Can you explain? Well, a
2: lot of ways. It kind of it goes back to the you know the sort of central character of Born This Way, which is this Italian Catholic girl, very devoted to her dad, and a dad who does not necessarily share her genius in readily obvious ways, and very intent on songwriting, and uh, that sort of narrative. I love how in um, A Star Is Born, you know, you see her walking around the house in a in a yes T-shirt and. She's sleeping under a Carol King tapestry album cover. That's what she has over her bed. Watching that movie, it reminded me of, of the Gaga of Born This Way, who was, you know, very open as a fan. This was a fan's approach to making pop music.
0: I think that's really true. I think there's a couple things I wanted to talk about Gaga more broadly, and then we can we can talk a little bit about her career since then. But you know, she she had this first of all, this amazing thing she said about about Kiss. When I met KISS, they could have all floated off the ground and it wouldn't have surprised me. In a KISS concert, Paul Stanley flies across the arena and is oddly normal. It's just like, but of course, I want to do that, but I don't want it to be a stage moment. I need to recreate it in an everyday situation. I need to be in the supermarket and fly across. That needs to happen. And there is this general idea she wanted to be Gaga 24-7. She was almost and I discussed this with Laura, I was almost like a little worried about her because she was so plunged into this and she didn't want to have a normal life. She didn't want to have any balance. She didn't want to, she said she was, when she wasn't on stage, she felt dead and that was all she cared about was being Lady Gaga, not being, you know, whoever she was before she became Lady Gaga or actually, I guess her theory was that she had always been Gaga even before she found the name. But I do think she broke from that in a lot of ways when she made her her standards album with Tony Bennett, when she did A Star Is Born, when she's gone in a lot of different directions. I I think she she wouldn't have been able to almost survive emotionally if she just had been nonstop, full on Gaga and the egg going forward. Uh, Brittany, how do you see kind of her evolution of, she stopped trying to one up herself as far as being out there. It peaked with the meat dress. Eventually she realized You've got to strip it back down before you can build it back up. And I I feel like she's definitely done that, you know, on Joanne in many different ways.
1: Yeah. To your point of survival, she almost didn't. I mean, she's spoken very candidly about how art pop and the creation of art pop was one of the worst times in her life. You kind of built your career on not only one-upping yourself in such grandiosity, but also... You have to carry that into how you live your everyday life. Like that's impossible. And we brought Madonna a lot, but like Madonna, that's part of her thing. But it doesn't translate into so much of like her everyday life necessarily. Share it doesn't translate into her everyday life. You know, the closest was Bowie and Ziggy Stardust era, but he had to leave that behind. Like after a while of, you know, years of doing that, took a toll on him health-wise and everything. With Gaga, it very clearly was tearing her apart. I remember seeing her at the Rosemont. Yeah, wait, not the Rosemont. Um, Roseland Ballroom. During the R-Pop era, the last show's at the Roseland Ballroom, and she did a huge, very, like, candid monologue about how much she'd been struggling in the last few years, just how, you know, her life was, you know, not necessarily falling apart, but there was a lot of drug use and things like that that was affecting her. It just wasn't healthy, um joanne definitely you know we didn't see where gaga wear pants for many years and i think joanne was the first time she would like allowed herself to wear pants stuff like that where she was kind of allowing herself to be dressed down a little bit i think working with tony bennett on cheek to cheek was a a big part of that kind of just doing this you know vanity project with someone that she loves and who she's remains very close with and who seems to be a another important paternal figure to her And, of course, getting to kind of go back to her roots on A Star is Born. Like, that is, like, Ellie Mae is very much Gaga. Like, that is, you know, the way that Rob described, there are all these elements peppered into there that relate to why Gaga is who she is and where she comes from. And so I think that's why you get to an album like Chromatica, which I think is you know, one of her best, where she's able to kind of balance this, here's who I am, I can write these deeply personal lyrics and not put on a facade for you. But it can also be really experimental, build a whole universe and still be the kind of eccentric pop star that she looks up to, but also very much aspires to continue being for her fans and for herself.
0: Yeah, I I think Chromatica was a great album. And, you know, it was one of those things where the circumstances of the pandemic meant that it wasn't going to hit the way that it would have hit if she was able to fully go out there and promote it. And it's also like, you know, it's just always the thing where you're swimming against the tide of what, you know, of what's current. And, uh, you know, there's a certain push against you know, quote unquote, old school pop stars, and so it just wasn't, it maybe didn't hit exactly the way it should have, but it doesn't matter because it was a great album, and it also shows, I think, a, a way, a way f- between Joanne and Chromatica, I think there's a, a very clear way forward for her, and I think it's going to be, I think there's a lot of great music still to come.
1: Yeah, she's just a huge music nerd. That's the other thing, I think, with so many of the artists that we all collectively love, and that, like, especially, like, the three of us talk about with so much enthusiasm, They're also music nerds. They are very much pulling from the history of music that they've been studying for years, for their entire lives. And Gaga is no different. Like She is someone who is a huge student of every artist that she encounters, that she listens to, and it's folded into everything that she does.
2: That's such a brilliant way that that really sums up her greatness in so many ways.
1: She may not
0: have liked the idea of being healthy and balanced, but eventually she did realize that, you know what, you you can't float in the supermarket. <laughs> like, that's a dangerous way of thinking.
1: Yeah, she injured herself very severely on the Born This Way tour during the, the choreography to, I think, Shiza, um, and that's affected her ever since. There's a lot of things that just between Born This Way and Art Pop just really fell apart for her in ways that we may not ever know fully um, that she's revealed in very small increments. But I think that was a huge lesson for her in that period of her life.
0: Well, I mean, I got to tell you, I saw, you know, and I was very fortunate to get to, you know, really watch her for days and days between the two cover stories I did. know she was the kind of person if you're writing she kept inviting me back like she like basically would not let me go home (laughs) so i was i was following you know it was was truly like the almost famous thing where i was just following her but i saw i mean it was actually for the first album when i was following around i saw her she already was having some kind of like pain it was a prelude to what happened and i saw her like Rehearsing some choreography, and it was just with this absolute, almost recklessness to her own well-being, mm-hmm. but artistically so impressive, like just shatteringly intense take on on this choreography. Where it was just one of the most impressive things I've ever seen from an artist, like just how hard she was hitting yeah. it, and it wasn't even the performance. It was just this, and I was just like, "This is." awe-inspiring and a little scary. And I, yeah. I sort of had that, I had that, that was the, those combination of reactions was something I kept having. And it's very much in, especially the second story, my like concern for her as a person. And I'm so glad. I, I hope she really is doing better, which it does seem to yeah. be. Yeah.
1: I think one of the greatest lies that I think for people who are, again, such students of pop music and of rock music, if you know, the history of music is that art is suffering. And I think Gaga carried that. It was a backpack. It was around her. Like she knew art is suffering. Like she believed it. She lived it. She made it such a big part of the way that she delivered herself. And it's not true. (laughs) It doesn't have to be true. It's, you know, sometimes related, but causation is not correlation. It does not need to be true. And I think she's learned a lot that art does not have to be that extreme type of suffering.
0: Yes, as a, as a freelance therapist to the famous, one thing I've learned is that one important realization that multiple famous people have is that you cannot live your life like it's a screenplay. Yeah, because screenplays end with what happens to Bradley Cooper in yeah. Star It's very, very dangerous. And can't I'm, write I'm the glad biopic
1: that- as you're living your life. Yes,
0: although, <laughs> although it can make for a very good profile material, but, you, you know, only for a while. Only for a while. You have to, you, you know... We and, don't and, and, condone
1: and sh- it, however. We don't
0: condone it. O- <laughs> only condone it until it becomes dangerous, and then and you then can have And just tell the- us about it. <laughs> exactly. Then the narrative can shift. Um, but Rob, last thoughts on just uh, Gaga going forward and uh, summing it all up?
2: You know, despite the suffering and, and tribulation she's had, she's just going to continue forever. She's just that great of a singer and that great of a songwriter and very easy thing to miss about born this way is that it was like a songwriting tour de force that, you know, whatever she does in terms of of her concepts and her imagery and her thinking, it all comes down to the fact that, you know, she's just a brilliant, brilliant songwriter. And I feel like that's the foundation. And with a star is born. She showed that she could write songs in a totally different mode, a seventies Laurel Canyon kind of soft rock mode. And she's really, I think, in my opinion, we're just beginning to see the best of her work because she's she's a songwriter who is just, you know, she just knows how to do it. She's got the knack.
0: So thank you to Brittany Spanos and Rob Sheffield for talking about tenure as a born this way, a topic that we were not at all excited to talk about, as you could tell. And this has been today's Rolling Stone Music Now. We'll be back next week here on SiriusXM's volume, channel 106. In the meantime, we are a podcast. Download us as a podcast, subscribe to us as a podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. And as always, thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.
2: Every story eventually comes to an end. This June, hear the final episode of Season 2 of the hit podcast series, In the Red Clay, Durham. In the Red Clay tells the unbelievable true story of Billy Sunday Burt, the most dangerous man in Georgia history. In the podcast that people are calling riveting, incredibly moving, captivating, and addicting. Binge Seasons 1 and 2 of In the Red Clay now, wherever you listen.